This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode 183. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Improved Photography. I am filling in for Jim Harmer today. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon, and I have on the phone with me Larissa and Sandy, who have both been on enough that everyone should know them by now. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good, how are good. you? Good, good. In fact, you guys are, at least Larissa, you've been like the mainstay on the podcast for the last several weeks. You've been... Seriously. I know, I almost feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's good to have familiar voices. Uh, I, I think everyone's loving it. So let's jump right into our questions of the week. The first thing I wanted to note was there was a discussion last episode about batch processing in Lightroom, and I was like screaming at my phone <laughs> as it was playing, saying... Oh, I have a photo taco on this topic. So if you go Google photo taco fast Lightroom editing, there's a whole bunch of tips about like the differences between sync and copy and paste settings and all the all the stuff there about how to how to apply updates and everything to photos in batch. So go listen to that photo taco if you want more information on that. Then we have Angela Norton. She said in the Facebook group, I would love, love, love it if the hosts of the podcast had links to their websites or even an IP bio page in the show notes. And uh, we are going to do that. So at least we'll try to, <laughs> to get Jesse to add that as we post this podcast. We have it in our show notes that we use. We use this little Google shared document for our pod, the podcast. And we put our contact info in there. So we'll, I'll try to remember to tell Jesse we really need it in the show notes when it gets published out to the podcast so that our contact info will be there today. All right, let's go to the questions now that people actually want to hear about. So the first one is Sarah Scully, and she said, I need some thoughts from you guys. I upgraded to a full-frame Canon 5D Mark III. Congratulations, Sarah. Congratulations. Yeah. The only L lenses I have so far are the older Vivitar 19-35 and the Canon 28-70, which is a good lens. The 28-70 is a good one. I've had the opportunity to buy a used Canon Prime 300mm LF4 lens, it doesn't have IS, so hand-holding is really not the best. No kidding. At that millimeter, 300, that's going to be tough to hold steady. Handheld may be pretty tough without really fast shutter speeds to, uh, to make that be sharp. They're asking 500 bucks for it. Um, the guy let her take it out on vacation, and she kind of liked it, but this found the focus to be a little slow. So the question is, should she go for this, jump on this 300-millimeter prime from Canon, um, that's an L lens, or should she kind of save her money and wait for the 70 to 200? All right, so I know Larissa's not a Canon shooter, but Sandy, do you, what do you think? I used to be a Canon shooter. Um, you know, I was just thinking, I wonder how much this uh, lens is worth, and I'm seeing on Amazon it's um, used, selling for 719 bucks. So worst case, if you don't like it, you can turn around and sell it and make a profit. (laughs) Don't know if you want to tell your friend that you made 200 bucks or not. Um, You know, as far as I, if, if I had to choose, I mean, that's a, that's a really, you know, tough uh, price to beat, but I don't, I wouldn't love the F4. I think that I would prefer to have a faster lens than that. Um, I can't personally live without a 70 to 200 lens. Um, so if you can afford it, I would say go with the 7200 or like we said, buy it and try it. And if you don't like it, sell it. Yeah. I think it depends on what she's shooting also. 
because mm-hmm. I know when I'm out with my um, 28 to 300, which is an F3.5 to 5.6, I'm normally shooting travel, so most of it's in the daytime. So I don't need to drop the um, the aperture down right. to 2.8. Right. You know, and, and because she has the, the full frame Mark III and it has the high ISO capability, because like you were saying, you're not going to be able to hold it steady. So you're if it is an F4 and you get in a situation, you're going to have to have higher ISO. Your camera can take it. And the thing I'd say is don't worry so much about it saying Canon on the lens. That <laughs> I mm-hmm. think that used to really matter a long time ago. Maybe I, mean, I haven't been in photography long enough to have been through those days, but uh, it's just not as big a gap. Sigma, Tokina, they're really doing well. They're doing super well. In fact, some of them have been rated higher than the manufacturers. So, I think, Yes, I think it, it depends on the lens because like, I had the 24 to 105 L series lens and I tried the Sigma and I liked the Sigma a lot better. Sure, sure. Yeah, so don't get caught up into you got to have the Canon label on the lens. Go check out some of these others, and you can get it down into that $500 price range probably without too much trouble. Get a brand new lens, maybe even at 2.8, and you don't have to worry about it being Canon. So that would be my advice. Mm-hmm. All right, Brian Duncan had a question. He says, I have an iMac, and every time I turn on my computer, Adobe CC says it's requiring an update. I do, but it closes, and it can't be found. Restart is... It's back, asking it to update again. I can still use Lightroom and Photoshop, but I don't know what's going on. This is so frustrating. We're going to talk a lot about Adobe today. But uh, I totally can empathize with it. I had the same problem on MacBook Pro. Um, the Creative Cloud app would say, I need to update. And then it just kind of froze or it wouldn't come up anymore and died. Um, I didn't do anything in particular to fix it. I quit the app. I, I restarted the MacBook and somehow it managed to get through it and, and make it work. So I can't give you specific advice, Brian, on what to do, but you might try that. Try quitting it if you can. If you can't quit the app, then just reboot your Mac. See if when it comes up, it does a better job. Clearly, you need to get an update to it. I guess another thing to try would be go like uninstall the Cl- Creative Cloud app. You don't have to uninstall, I think, the rest of it. Just Creative Cloud, re-download it, and, um, and then run it and see if that'll work. So... We're going to talk a lot more about frustration there. <laughs> Any advice you guys have on that? I've had to do. I've had to um, uninstall it and reinstall it. Um, because it was acting super buggy, and and it worked. And it's a pain in the butt, and it takes a long time. But you might, you know, you might have to. Yeah. Yeah, and I had to do it once also too. Had to uninstall Creative Cloud. Yeah, yeah. It, I just it shouldn't take that. <laughs> we'll get to it. All right, we got more to say there, but let's move to the last question before we get to our five minute segments. Dustin Graffa said sensor needs cleaning pretty badly. I've never done it before. Bit nervous about it, but I've heard enough about how easy it is that I don't want to pay to have it done. I get that. As a hobbyist, I definitely want to do everything I can myself. I know Jim Harmer's all about pec pads. Can someone with experience help instruct or share a link? What do I need to buy? Steps. Thanks. So we talked just a little before the show and Larissa said she's never done her own center cleaning and Sandy does. So Sandy, what do you do? (laughs) Well, we have, um, we actually need to at our studio have a sensor cleaning party because once we, um, you know, start seeing the spots on our sensor, then, um, that's when we go ahead and clean them. And what I would say is if I can do it, 
anybody can do it <laughs> and don't be afraid. And I have read, um, you know, that if you if you do it and something happens that it does void the warranty on it, um, which can sound scary. Don't don't let that scare you. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, there's there's plenty of um, resources online. Um, Jeff, you said you were going to put a, a link in. Yeah, the show notes. Right. So Jim, Jim's done a pretty in-depth YouTube tutorial on this because this is a question that comes up over and over and over. You have especially people who they, they usually find improved photography because they just got a camera and they've researched and they've tried to learn a bunch of things and they they come across our site or our podcasts and then they have all of these questions and they just keep coming up. They haven't gone through the, all the history or backlog of all the podcasts. So perfectly fine. Gra glad everyone asked those questions. But Jim created a really good YouTube video where he even went so far as to like crack a raw egg <laughs> inside of the camera and let it drip right onto the sensor and he cleaned it up. So, <laughs> so go check out the video. We'll put a link in the show notes or you can just search for um, Jim Harmer clean camera image sensor, something like that. If you go Google that, I, that's what I did to find the link. I just went to Google and it was the first thing that came up. So, you know, your camera is a lot more durable than, than you think too. Right. <laughs> and it's really not, it's not that hard. It's, it's no. pretty easy. The peck pads make a big deal, big difference that they're a really nice tool to get. You do have to get the right size. So we can't just say which one to go get because it's different for every camera sensor. So you have to get the right size for your camera sensor. But once you have that, um, it's pretty easy. And Jim talks all through it. So that's what we need to go to check out, Dustin. And you can do this. You can totally do this. This is not that hard. Larissa, you can do it too. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll try. Have it. <laughs> it, I think it's one of those things you have to do a couple of times before you're totally comfortable. But I, the no, first time I did, I was petrified. I, I fully admit that. <laughs> I was scared to death that I was going to break something. But then when mm -hmm. I did it, I was like, it worked. That was really easy. <laughs> I can't believe it. Well, I guess if my camera's out of warranty, it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Yep. All right. So let's go. Let's move on from the questions to our five minute segments. And let's start with Larissa today. Okay. So as everybody I'm sure is aware, I got the um, Sony a6300 because I've mentioned it like about 50 million times. Um, and when I took it out, my my note to everybody is to make sure that you practice with your camera, especially if it's new and especially if you're going to be shooting something, you know, that's important. When I first took it out, I had changed it to back button focus and I'm sitting there taking a picture of something and not using my back button focus. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. after like the third picture, I was like, well, no wonder it's not focusing. I'm pushing the wrong button because I had gotten used to already within like a day of going back to using the shutter release um, as a back button focus. One of the first things I did also was I set up the camera the way that I wanted it. I did a Google search on, you know, setups for the uh -huh. A6300 and the type of things that I was looking for in order to, you know, make sure that it performed the way that I wanted. Um, and I know with the Nikon, it has the dial for the um, the shutter release up at the at the back of the camera on top and the, um, or not the shutter release, to change your shutter at you know in the back of the camera and then the front of the camera is to change your aperture there's a little wheel there uh -huh. well i kept trying to change the shutter and i would change my because the buttons are so small i would change it from you know manual to prior to um oh professional <laughs> i would change it to professional <laughs> without even knowing and it's i'd go to take a picture and try and change the aperture and just 
push the wrong dial or turn the wrong dial. So practice, practice, practice is really important. And I know, Sandy, you used to shoot Canon, and now you shoot Nikon. I know those two are drastically different in the functionalities. Oh, yeah. Actually, I have a funny story about that. I actually learned how to work my Nikon on the plane to shoot my friend's wedding. Oh, <laughs> I had wow. the, the owner's manual out, and I was just, and the guy sitting next to me probably thought I was a lunatic, uh, you know, obsessing over this owner's manual. But I was, yeah, it was uh, intense. <laughs> this is another bit of advice that we end up talking about frequently on the podcast the same thing that a lot of people as they're learning to use their cameras when they stumble across the episode then they um they need this uh, this same advice and that would be when you're going to go do a workshop or you're going to you have some big event coming up uh, you know last week i know connor talked about one of his tips was to stretch yourself and go do something that is extra um like outside your comfort zone and this is really good advice. If, if you're going to do that, don't switch cameras to at the same time. Like don't add that to your stress levels. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make it so that you're, you're having to learn how to use the camera on the fly too, or you mistake where the buttons are, especially if you've gone from one to another, if you're switching camera systems and it's going to be totally unfamiliar to you, that could be really tough to make sure you you can get the shots. You, you sometimes have very little time to get the exposure if you're shooting manual especially and uh, if you hit the wrong buttons it's just going to be gone the moment's going to be over so don't if you if you're going to go do a workshop that's not the time to go buy a new camera mm-hmm. no that's a, really, also, that's a really good point yeah you should also refresh yourself i know i was at one of our photography club meetings and we were doing a scavenger hunt and we had to take a self-portrait and I had completely forgotten how on my D800 to change the length of the timer for the um, the timer shoot. And I was sitting there fumbling around. I was just like, all right, we'll just run over there really quickly because I can't figure out right now how to change the length of the time. So you have to practice with your own camera sometimes too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, get really familiar with it. Do as much as you can shooting with it before a big event or a workshop or something like that. All right, very good, Larissa. Now it's time for my rant. (laughs) (laughs) And my rant about Adobe and CC. Now, first, I have to preface this with, I love the Adobe tools. I still think, even with the the problems that we're having and all this discussion we're gonna go through right now, complaining about things, it's still the best tool set available to photographers. I'm really glad there's competition coming up. Uh, On One is making some serious strides and uh, really, really gonna provide some competition. We need that, we need to have competition. It, some of these issues that we have with Adobe may be because they've had too much of a comfortable lead for a long time and they weren't pushed. So I know Sandy's gonna talk a little bit more about on one. So uh, what happened that I wanted to go over was on July 6th, um, as everyone knows, I, I'm constantly watching the Adobe forums Lightroom forums. I'm, I'm out there trying to get information about what's going on all the time. And on July 6th, uh, a man named Joel Wiesbrod, I think is how you pronounce that. I don't know how you say it. But he, he provided an open letter to Adobe in the forum. And it got some attention for a couple days. There were lots of people supporting it. And um, I think he had some really good points. I want to walk through it and just kind of see how it is that you guys think about it, Sandy and Larissa. How, what do you think about this feedback? Do you agree? And and what can we do? And then there's even a little bit of feedback that we got from Adobe themselves. And so let's go through it. All right. So in that letter, 
Um, let me, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a few blurbs. We'll put the link to the letter out in the show notes, too. But it, he said, I've come to think of the folks at Adobe as either brilliant aliens or exceptional humans. Not sure which. That's funny. With every fix of three bugs, it seems you introduce five new bugs, breaking things that worked before. And every few weeks, the features change. The display is different. A new way to access tools like Refine Engines, which just barely happened in one of the releases as we record this podcast. Yet Adobe may think this is great, but out here in the trying to do business world, we're tired of the constant learning curve, whether we want it or not, whether we have time for it or not, whether it works for our workflow or not, on and on and on. So let me ask you, Sandy, is that how you feel about it? Um, you know, y yes. <laughs> and, and if you think, and if you think of it in, you know, if your time is worth money, how much time it takes out of your workflow um, and what we were talking about earlier, how we've had to uninstall it and reinstall it and it took a half a day. Um, it's so frustrating when it doesn't work, um, especially when you pay good money for it, you know? How about you, Larissa? You frustrated like this with it? I'm not frustrated because I will normally just walk away from my computer <laughs> and let it do what it's doing, especially when it comes to Lightroom and when I'm trying to you know, export or import, I'll just go ahead and set it and walk away and go cook dinner or, you know, watch some TV because I know it's going to take a long time. Right. I mean, thankfully, it's not, you know, my main business where I'm sitting there just with a bazillion clients trying to go through thousands of pictures like Nick from a wedding. So I don't have to worry about that. But I mean, I just learned to walk away, I guess, is the <laughs> easiest way for me to do it. And I could see where if, if this was the a, a photo studio and you had a staff of photographers trying to work through a session and you have to deal with this pace of change that Adobe's gone to with Creative Cloud, that could be very disruptive. You get your employees trained on what you want done inside of Lightroom and Photoshop. And then in a month, the program changes like this Refine Edges. It's a pretty commonly used function in portrait retouching. Uh, or even sky replacement sorts of things. The, the Refine Edge is a really powerful thing in Photoshop, and they completely changed it, and it was pretty different, although it, there's, it looks different, but the, the actual tools themselves were all still there and worked the same way, really. Just the UI and the way it looked was, very, was changed to be different. But I could see how that would be frustrating to, to big businesses. I haven't personally had any trouble with it. I kind of like the pace of change, actually. I like having new features, I, but if, if I had to trade, I would say stop doing the new features. In fact, I added this to this open letter. I, I'm not needing new features right now. What I need is for you to improve the ones that you've got. Make them work faster. Make them work reliably. Make Creative Cloud, like we talked about, this Creative Cloud app that sometimes gets hung trying to update itself. Fix that. Make it so that it works every time. And don't worry about adding these features, at least for right now. Um, with, that's that's kind of the feeling that I get out of it. You know, um, my my issues haven't been with the new features. It's just that every time that it updates, um, something really weird happens. You yeah. know, so that I can't explain. Um, so that's my only issue with but, it. And that's kind of why we've come to say, hey, when a new update comes out, don't put it on yet until the improved photography guys have had a chance to look at it, and see, <laughs> yeah. see how it's going to go. Let me. I'm the hobbyist. I, my business isn't going down because I don't. It's not my business. So. 
you know, if my machine gets worked up for a while, <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to be not happy, but I'm not going to be losing money. If you're, if this is your business, wait for a minute and make sure that let, let us test it out and see how it's going. All right. So, so then now do we have the okay to update from the last one? So, I was waiting for you to tell me. Good, good question. <laughs> yes, uh, it, it's, it's, it's fine. I, some people have said that there's, it's slow, slowed even further for them. Um, it seems really specific to their operating system, though. And, and of course, the squeaky wheel is the one. In the forums, these are all people who are mad. <laughs> That's why they're there. They're mad. So um, I think for the vast majority of users, I had absolutely no problems when I upgraded. I, I did it on three machines, one Windows and two Mac, and it was just fine. I didn't have any trouble. There is a kind of a formula that I use, and I've been going through some of the stuff in the Photo Taco episodes to talk about what it is I'm doing to make Lightroom perform better the best it can uh, so following that helps a lot and makes it so I think some of the exp the problems that people are experiencing I'm not so anyway I, I yes the the latest version um, seems to be just fine for me all right you so know, and I sorry I, I really like that you say that it's still the best and that we can't live without it because I was thinking how could they make it better and I know that companies like Apple will always do a beta test of their software before they release it but mm -hmm. then once they release it there's still going to be issues right you know that they have to work out so I mean you're you kind of are stuck you are, <laughs> you, know? you, are. you just got to accept it and, and be like Larissa and walk away and move on later <laughs> it's, it's really kind of similar to like iPhone and Android in my mind. I'm iPhone. I've been an iPhone user since the beginning. I prefer it. I like it better, but boy, am I glad Android's there because it pushes Apple. It makes Apple reconsider things and they have a measuring stick right next door to them. that's not far behind. And in some cases ahead that helps to make the overall products. And so in general, the consumers win because there's two strong players and we need that desperately in this market too. So I'm really glad to see on one and some others coming up all oh, right he, he continued cool. in his letter and gave some suggestions and i don't agree with the first one so i'll but i shouldn't have said that i should have let larissa and sandy say first but anyway i don't agree with this one he said first off saul slow down don't send me an update so you can tell the world how many updates and changes you made first make it work properly send it out for more beta testing i will wait the extra two to three months for an update if it works when i get it I'm sure everyone would rather have slower update timeframes with fewer new bugs. And I don't want them to slow down, <laughs> but I do want to. Now, I, I think that, you know, when Lightroom first went or when Adobe first went to the CC model, people were so concerned that they weren't going to update anything. So maybe that's one of the reasons that they keep updating things is because there was that, you know, oh, you're going to take my money every month and I'll never see an update type of thing. That's a really good point. Now you have people paying to get updates. You probably have some pressure to have one or two a quarter or something, some, some kind of time frame. They probably do have the internal project team probably has some kind of incentives about or, or requirements saying you got to release something new to make it so that people will stick with the subscription. That's a good point that, that that's there. I do agree that they need to make it work. They need to, don't release a feature until you've been able to get through the testing. Uh, it feels like some of the feature releases have had issues like that, although this last one didn't seem so bad to me. They released something that looked very, very different and people didn't like that, but it was, it was still uh, okay. All right, then the next thing he said, and this will be the last I'll have of his letter. He said, second, 
Stop changing the program every month. Send bug fixes once they're fully tested and working properly without introducing new problems and wait 18 to 24 months for version upgrades. Many of us teach classes in Photoshop and Lightroom, and this is making our students hate Adobe. As they're trying to learn, Adobe introduces some drastic changes, making it nearly impossible to learn the software. So, again, I don't really agree with that. I don't want to wait 18 to 24 months for new features. Uh, I would rather they focused on the speed for a little while, spend a year on it or something. I don't know what the time frame is, but get it faster for sure. But we need the new features. There's lots of cool stuff those engineers are working on, and I don't want them to keep it like the two years or whatever it was before there was CC. That was really slow. I do get that they're trying to create training, and, and that would be a really bad problem for Adobe if indeed the students, the people learning the software and, and are going to become your uh, professional consumers of it later and paying for this, if they're learning to hate it because of how much it's changing and the, the courses can't keep up, that is a problem Adobe's going to have to address. Well, I was well, you- one time teaching a Lightroom class, and we taught one, and then we were teaching a second class, and they added the dehaze feature and the panorama and HDR into Lightroom right before the class. Uh-huh. So we had to come up with some training for that. Right. Or you can just say, you know, this is for the previous release. It came out just so so recently. This isn't fully updated to where it's at. And then, yeah, you got to retool. You got to go change your training so that you can handle it for the next class. What did you say, it Sandy? Just, it just comes down to humans. You just hate change. <laughs> right. General. Some do. You, yeah. You have to you have to really fight. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Okay, so there was a couple of interesting responses, which the thing that was really the best about this to me was the fact that someone from Adobe read this in the first place. That's really encouraging to me that they're listening, they're watching. I don't really like some of what's in his answer here. It's really short, so I'll read it. He says, hi. Oh, this is from this was on July 10th. So it was like four days later. And he said um, this was from Jeffrey Tranberry. um, And his title is Chief Customer Advocate. Pretty cool. And he said, hi, folks, I wanted to replay, reply and say we're following this discussion and are sympathetic to your concerns. We've been having recent ongoing discussions within our product teams about how to best pace releases, balancing feature work, bug fixing, polish and architectural improvements. Many folks on the digital imaging team are out on holiday this week. That was the week of July 10th. But we hope to have a broader discussion slash response in the upcoming weeks. Thanks for the feedback and honesty. And that was the part I didn't like was, hey, our staff's out on vacation. I don't care. (laughs) We're paying for this thing. I don't care if the staff is out on vacation. But, uh, you know, he probably should have left that out. But still, I I like that they're, they're having discussions about it. And I wanted to kind of bring this up just because if you haven't been over to those forums before, that is a good place rather than just trying to go in our Facebook groups and ask very specific technical questions because we may not have the answer for your specific situation. If you go to feedback.photoshop.com, you'll be able to find where you can post it and and you can put your own problem in there and either someone else will help you with it or Adobe might, might engage and try to help you with it. And you might be providing Adobe information they haven't had. That would be the why it's, it's really good to give them that feedback and say, you know, outline what's causing you trouble. The other one thing I wanted to mention really fast, and then I'll let Sandy have her time. Victoria Bampton. So she's, um, she's known as the Lightroom queen and she's listed as a title of champion inside the Adobe forums, but the, the forums, she's been in there for a long time. She really knows Lightroom inside and out. 
and uh, enough that the forums gave her that name, the Lightroom Queen. And now she operates a website, lightroomqueen.com, and she's, she's got a really uh, a lot of good information about there. And I'm incidentally going to be doing a Photo Taco episode with her at the end of July. So if you have questions that you'd like Victoria to answer, you can go over to our Facebook group and put that in there. Find the post where I, I announced this and put your question. But she replied to this too um, because someone had said, there's such a difference in the speed performance of Lightroom versus Photoshop. And so she was trying to point out why that is. They're never going to be the same. And that's because Lightroom has a much harder job than Photoshop does. And here's, here's what she said. Photoshop only has to do the job once on the pixels that are already computed. Lightroom runs and reruns series of instructions to do the same job because it's a metadata editor. There are pros and cons to both options. What, I, what she means by that is Lightroom, you can think of sort of like it stores a recipe for how you're editing the photos. And every time you go pull up that photo, it has to apply the recipe to it and, and do all of the math and do all of the, the adjustments that you've added. It has to do all of that every time you bring up the photo. Whereas Photoshop, with layers, you sort of get a little bit of that, um, but it's not nearly as intensive. It's really just showing pixels. And computers have been able to do that for a really long time, really, really fast. So there's a reason that Photoshop feels so much faster than Lightroom, and that's because Photoshop is a destructive editor. The changes that you make in there are done forever. And Lightroom is a non-destructive editor. It's building a recipe, and uh, you, you don't change the original file at all. So the big difference in the performance, and I wanted to give Victoria a little bit of a shout out. All right, Sandy. Well, I, I don't want this to sound like it's an anti, um, you know, Lightroom podcast um, because I used pod, I, I used Lightroom rather forever, and um, I did recently, fairly recently, change to um, Capture One Pro Nine, which is made by Phase One, um, which is a company that's been around for quite a while. And the only reason that I switched is because um, the studio, the commercial photography studio that I work at, they were only using Capture One. So when I first came in thinking that I knew it all and, you know, the person that's been doing it since the 80s doesn't, <laughs> um, I was like, oh, Lightroom's fine for me. You know, it does everything that, that um, Capture One does. But um, I've, I've, I've changed my tune quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, I have to, I have to preface this with, I am not an expert on capture one. Um, but I really think that especially if you're frustrated with Lightroom and you want another option, it would be something to, to look into. Um, so this is what I know so far. Okay. So, um, tethering in capture one is like lightning fast. Um, Lightroom, I, I don't, I can't think of a single time that I had a tethering, <laughs> um, experience with Lightroom that didn't end, you know kind of with me frustrated uh -huh. um, or embarrassed, right? Because because I'm in front of customers and I'm like, okay, we're waiting and, we're, you know, it's, it's I, I love how fast Capture and it, One is. This is with the same camera, the same cable, mm -hmm. the same everything mm -hmm. out, computer. It's mm -hmm. just the difference in the software, right? Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about this, the last time I talked about tethering on the podcast, I wanted to do a side-by-side -side comparison. So I opened up Lightroom and I was going to time it. And of course, when I'm sitting in my living room taking photos, it's like fast. It's oh, only, really? <laughs> you know, when I, when I need it. 
okay. <laughs> fast and it's not. <laughs> it's only so when I, customers are around. Right, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, so yeah, exactly. So yeah, I love the tethering. Um, the sliders are significantly different. Everything in Capture One is different. So um, it's kind of like switching from Nikon to Canon. Um, it's, it's completely foreign when you first start. And that was um, the most frustrating part for it for me was like um, certain sliders aren't exactly the same as they w- would be in Adobe. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot more features in it in Capture One. Have either of you used or seen Capture One or heard of it? Yeah, I did a 30-day yes. trial of it. I went and checked it out, and I just struggled so hard. I've been it's in Lightroom lot. forever, and mm-hmm. it's so hard to try to get over there. What I needed was like a Lightroom to Capture One guide. I needed some like mm. video thing or or document or something that said, okay, if this is what you did in Lightroom, here's how you do it in Capture One, and show mm-hmm. me what sliders to go through and, and how to to add stuff. Uh, it was so super frustrating. Even 30 days of use, I was like, oh, I just, I'm mm-hmm. not making progress here. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally hear what you're saying. And, and I still have to use Photoshop because it doesn't do um, everything that I needed to do, just like Lightroom. Um, so, you know, going back and forth between Photoshop and Capture One is, is I'm struggling a little bit too. So, so how um, is that round tripping? It, Lightroom, it should have an advantage since they're both done by Adobe where round tripping from Lightroom into Photoshop and back is pretty seamless. It works really, really well. How is it with Capture One? So for Capture One, what I use it for is product photography. So um, I don't have to do a lot of back and forth. I do what I need to do. I make sure that my color balance is good. Um, I do my minimal editing in there and then I will um, just say process. It's called process except instead of export, um, and then it processes it into a Photoshop file. Okay. Um, going back, you would have to import it again back into Capture One. So you're right. If that's something that you need to do a lot, if you're going back and forth a lot, um, but once it's in Photoshop, I can do everything that I need to do in Photoshop. Right, right. Okay. So now, does Capture One have all the um, the plugins that Lightroom does? You mean like us, like presets and stuff? Um, no, like the external software programs like Topaz and all those programs that um, you can go from Photoshop or Lightroom into Topaz. I don't know. Because again, I guess, again, I'm not an expert <laughs> on it yet. I, I use it for exactly what I need it for, um, which is exactly what I used Lightroom for. And so far, I like Capture One better. Um, I don't I don't even know um, what is what is Topaz. It's a plugin that you can do. um Topaz has black and white, and they have um, noise adjustments and clarity. It's like a bunch of different softwares that you can round trip from mm-hmm. Lightroom or Photoshop into. Yeah, so so what I would I would say for that is um, Capture One is is kind of um, again because I work in a commercial photography setting and I and I work with a lot of product photography. I don't have very stylized um, images, so I'm, and I'm always tethering too so if i you know was gonna i don't i don't really know um that it would work really well for somebody that has a really specific style um i think this is more for commercial type stuff where your colors must be true does that make sense yes um and then the other thing that i like about it is um like your your windows whatever um you know like your curves panel for instance you can take that and drag that off and have that always be a separate window um or you can you can customize your windows and i've never even tried to do it in lightroom like can you you can you move stuff around in lightroom 
like yeah, your there, side panel? There's some of that. It's not nearly as flexible as Capture One. That that was one of the things that I actually kind of liked about it was, um, and and I did find guides as I was looking for this Lightroom to Capture One guy. <laughs> I wanted to find a transition help thing. I did find one that compared Lightroom to Capture One and offered a guide about how you could build, I think it's called a workspace, or I can't remember what the term mm -hmm. is in Capture One, but you could set up the UI so that it is a lot closer to the same UI as what is presented in Lightroom, which would make it more familiar to you. You could mm -hmm. have the sliders be in kind of the same order and have panels on the same order and stuff as is in Lightroom. And uh, there were even like packages you could download. I found, I don't know what, I didn't do any of them, but you, you could download <laughs> people's workspaces, something that they had set up and said, hey, here's how you should set up Capture One so that it looks good. Uh, I just never did go do that. But it, I, I did see how that feature was to be able to do that. There's a lot that Capture One can do. So I imagine that the plugins are there. I'd have to research that, but I, I, I would be willing to bet that that option's available because there's so much. It is very uh, involved. <laughs> I, I would guess the only thing limiting that would be that Capture One has yet to really capture a, <laughs> pun intended, I guess, <laughs> to capture a huge portion of the market. So you had mm -hmm. so many people using Lightroom, so many photographers use it that if you are a developer and, want, and they had a SDK so they could go build plugins for Lightroom, you're incented to do that because you can charge money for it and you're going to sell a whole bunch of plugins. That, that's a good revenue stream for a developer. They could go do that. Um, you don't have that same incentive with Capture One yet. <laughs> if, if the Creative Cloud frustration meter keeps rising, the, the ability to go over to Capture One keeps getting more and more enticing. So it'll mm -hmm. be good. I hope there's more competition there. Yeah, and on the Capture One website, it says number one in imaging software, like right on the main page. I don't know where they're getting that number <laughs> right. from. Right. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, unless they're only talking about commercial photographers, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Well, I know that um, Derek Story from the Digital Story podcast, he was trying to choose between Aperture and Lightroom, and then Capture One came out, and he actually went to Capture One. You know, once Aperture died, he went to Capture One instead of Lightroom. Right. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and if you give it a couple years' time, as things continue to progress, uh, maybe those guides will be there to help you transition from Lightroom to Capture One. Maybe they'll have even like a nice way to import your, I don't know if that exists now, to import your library from Lightroom. Uh, I, I'd imagine things are going, to, they're going to keep doing a good job of trying to make it easier for Lightroom users to move over to Capture One. I just found it when I did, it was about six months ago that I went and did that experiment. I did every shoot for those 30 days while the trial was available in mm -hmm. Capture One, and I just still felt like, wow, I I just am not getting this. <laughs> Which is so interesting because I feel that you're a lot more technically, um, you know, <laughs> proficient than I am. Um, and and I've, I mean, there, there's a couple things I have to look up, but for the most part, I'm, I'm, you know, thumbing my way through it. I like it, personally. I just got too slowed down. Anyway. <laughs> but like you said it's it's kind of like if you were going to switch you know systems yeah, yeah. and you had to learn everything all the buttons again kind of thing and that's or, exactly what it feels like or if you're just starting out uh you know checking it out first uh, might be a good way to go you're, you're likely to have a better performance experience than mm -hmm. you are with lightroom at this point 
Mm-hmm. And it's quite a bit more expensive. It's um, I want to say it's three hundred dollars, or you could do the subscription, which is what I do for fifteen dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you have to, you know, really need it. And and I since I use it every day, like I, I need it. <laughs> all right, let's wrap up those segments. Thanks for all of your thoughts there, guys. Let's do our doodads of the week. Let's start with Sandy. Oh, okay. So I know that we that we've kind of um, you know talked about a lot about camera bags on the podcast before, um, and I was a poor student. I'm still pretty poor, but I've graduated, um, and <laughs> I I was sick of like carting. I had my um, like four bags when I go to work. I'd have my purse, my lunchbox, my laptop bag, and my camera bag. Um, and I just said, like, I want something that can carry everything. And I found one for 54 bucks. It's called the Case Logic DCB 309. If it'll be in the show notes, but if you just um, look on Amazon, it's the $54 Case Logic bag. And it has a laptop portion and it, car- it um, holds everything that I need it to hold. Very nice. It's awesome for 54 bucks. I have liked Case Logic for other kinds of bags, I just haven't used it for, for, for uh, camera bags. Yeah, and I can't do the messenger bags. I can't oh, do the yeah. one side, so I needed a backpack. Um, and I really like it. I've been using it for about six months now. Very good. All right, Larissa, how about you? Okay, so mine is the U.S. to Europe plug converter with a lot of people um, going on vacation and leaving the country. This is actually for your MacBook Pro or Air, you know, the little plug, the plug that comes with it that you can um, separate that part and put in the regular U.S. plug so that when you're traveling, you don't have to carry the um, the three-prong plug. Right. Well, this one actually is a little adapter that slips right in there that is for European plugs, and it's under $10. I was going to say, I noticed it's like 5 bucks on Amazon, and at Apple, they sell the whole package, <laughs> right. the World Traveler Kit, for 30 bucks. Right. So that's a pretty good deal, 5 bucks for it. And Jim actually Yeah, I mean, had, I have it and I've used it, so... Jim had yeah. that one, the Apple one, as his dude out of the week a few weeks ago when he was preparing to go to China. And uh, and he loved having it there. This... yeah. So you've got it and it seems to work great, huh, Larissa? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say with if it's not made by Apple, if it's made by a third party, I didn't look um, that to be careful, too, because I've had chargers uh, sure. burn out because um, I wasn't using the right, uh, what do you call that, the little duck head thing that goes in for American right. you know, plugs. Right. It is one of the nice things about that Apple charger is there's a, a modular piece, and you maybe have taken it out by mistake and worried you broke it. <laughs> but it, <laughs> it, it just pops off the end, and then this this is just a little piece that you stick right in place of it, and it swaps out what the connection type looks like. And then everything else works great. So that's a very good tip. All right, mine is going to be something that I kind of recently put a video podcast out about on YouTube. Um, It's free licenses to flash recovery software. And so Larissa and Sandy, I'm sure you bought like pro level flashcards, right? (laughs) Recently, uh, yes. (laughs) Like a Lexar or SanDisk brand? Mm -hmm. I needed something that was faster and I I paid, uh, paid a pretty penny for it. Right. So I watch for the sales on Amazon because they'll put these pro level flashcards, uh, especially SD, um, which is what I shoot on. It, they put them up for sale frequently. It's at least once a month there's a sale on Amazon. And the thing that I think a lot of people do when they buy those is not realize that there's a little gold nugget inside of there besides the flashcard. 
And that's a license to their software for recovering flashcards. Nice. So both Lexar and SanDisk have some professional recovery software. I don't know. They, they call them different things. But um, if you go to buy it from them or you go to their website and you want to get it, uh, Lexar's is 40 bucks. I didn't look at what SanDisk's is. But it's $40 to go buy the software. And you get it for free if you just look inside the packaging for the license. So awesome. Lexar has this little tiny pamphlet that's in there. This little, it looks like it should be maybe the usage instructions or something, the card, which most people just immediately throw away. But on the front of that, there's this little code and that's what you use to activate the software that, that provides the license. SanDisk is even a little bit trickier. They stick it, there's a sticker on the inside back cover of the uh, cardboard that the SD or the card comes in and that's the license. So it's even more like, oh, you just open it up, you take out your card and you throw away the packaging. You just threw away the free license to their recovery software. And how did you find this out? Oh, I just, I actually looked at it um, <laughs> one day or, or oh, even wow. because it's sort of near the top on the SanDisk ones. If you cut, if you uh, tear apart the cardboard um, vertically, <laughs> you'll tear right through the license sticker. So you'll ruin it <laughs> and it might be hard to read. So my tip is if you're going to open up your, your card, your brand new card, be careful as you open it, try to get it like just tear it horizontally across uh, as close to the top as you can get it to open it up and then look at all the packaging materials and see if there's a free license in there. And if, if you need the license, and even if you're using like a CF card, their, their software, I don't believe, is going to say it's different for an SD card versus a CF card. So even if it's a CF card that you need to recover, you could buy a cheap, a cheaper, because they're cheaper than CF cards, a cheaper SD Pro card. And maybe like, I think I paid $15 because I found it on Amazon on sale that day. It was 15 bucks for this Pro Level XR card open it up, have the free license for the software, and then go use it on your more expensive CF card. So there you go. There's a tip to look in your packaging for the free licensing to recovery software. That's going to save somebody in the future. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. The last thing is the do random of the week. And so this week, um, I finally uh, was convinced to go get an Apple Watch. Uh, like I said, I'm an iPhone user. I have used them for a long, long time, but I was waiting for the second version of Apple Watch. The first rev of a product from Apple is nice, but generally it gets way better, the second rev. So I was waiting as, as long as I could. Um, I do, I'm doing a lot of fitness tracking because like Nick Page, um, I feel like I gotta get more fit so I can do a better job of hiking to these destinations and not be dying <laughs> on the way. And, uh, and so I've been working on this for a while now and I've been using a Fitbit and I loved the Fitbits. I had a surge, so that did heart rate, that did a whole bunch of uh, fitness tracking. The problem is I've gone through two of them now. The, the first one, I got it and within six months, it wouldn't charge anymore. And it wasn't the battery problem, it was, a, it was a problem with the connector. I couldn't, the connector wouldn't make solid contact with the watch anymore and so it wouldn't charge. I had to like put pressure on it <laughs> to get it to charge. And then mm -hmm. as soon as I let go, it wouldn't charge anymore. So I contacted support. They actually replaced it for free that first time within you know, six months old. And then the second one did exactly the same thing 10 months later. 
So I was not going to do another Fitbit search. <laughs> that was There's a problem with that connection, and I wasn't going to do that. And uh, they weren't going to replace it for free, so I had to go buy something for fitness tracking, and I decided to give the Apple Watch a go. So not wholly related to photography. That's why it's the do random of the week, but I'm enjoying it. It's kind of fun. Larissa, you have one, don't you? Yes, I do. And I love it for sitting in meetings. If I get a text message or a Facebook message or an email, I can, you know, kind of sneak a peek at my watch and see what it is. But the fitness tracking is kind of lacking, in my opinion. You and I had a discussion on Facebook about it. Um, I had actually been on the treadmill for 49 minutes and it only recorded 15 minutes of activity for me. You're clearly not as out of shape as I am. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) So I was walking on the treadmill. I wasn't running, but I believe with, I had done some research on it the first time it did it to me. And it said that unless your heart rate gets above 120, I think it doesn't really count it as activity. Yeah, they So yesterday I ran around the office and I ended up getting 30 minutes of activity. So I don't know. There you go. Yeah. So, but the Apple, sorry, the Apple watch actually does your heart, your heart rate. Yeah. Not as continuously as Fitbit. That's one of the things Uh, I really liked. Fitbit, it did it continuously. It was always going as long as you were wearing it. It was constantly monitoring your heart rate. The Apple Watch has enough battery challenges that it can't do that all the time. So it checks every few minutes normally. But if you say you're doing a workout or something, there's a little app and you go say I'm working out. Then it will change to doing it continuously and the battery drains way faster. So it's not always on like it was with the Fitbit. How long have you had it, Jeff? Uh, Five days now. Okay. (laughs) So I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Uh, there's a couple of apps I've got now that I really like that are helping me with the fitness stuff too and dieting and all of that. So that's that's good. It's, it's going to be helpful. And the good best thing is it's charging every single night. <laughs> it's working to get charged. Uh, I, I wish Apple would buy Fitbit. That would be great. <laughs> then we would have the problem solved. I kind of wish Apple would just buy a lot of companies <laughs> and make a, make a DSLR camera, like, to be honest. Oh, then it would have one button. it would read your mind (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks everyone for listening to the episode thanks uh, sandy and larissa for joining me today and we will see you guys in seven days bye bye bye